Well, it is a delight to welcome you to Stones Hill Community Church this morning. Um, what a joy it is to welcome you on Valentine's Day. And before I forget it, all you ladies get a carnation today, compliments of our church. And then once all the carnations are, uh, if all the ladies um, have a carnation, there's some left. Some of you guys, your lucky day, you can grab one too. And you can take it home and let your wife know that you love and care for her. And then uh, if you have a family... Make a carnation, a bouquet of carnations. How about that? And all of you can just put them all together and have a beautiful, beautiful arrangement for your Valentine's Day table. So uh, it is great to welcome you here on this special day and this special weekend. Um, it's interesting, the things sometimes I say in a sermon, it gets picked up and, and remembered. And so after the service last week, I talked to you about how I'm excising and omitting from my vocabulary a certain phrase. Uh, I have to is the phrase that I'm trying to get rid of. Instead, I, I now say I get to just to facilitate my gratitude, right? And so I'm, I'm just going to stop saying I have to. I'm going to start saying I get to more. You get to. I get to. And uh, so I had somebody text me and said, hey, Pastor Joey, um, guess, guess what? He says, I get to go shovel the driveway of snow today. So I get to do that. And so that's good news, isn't it? I love you, Bill Nelly. Thank you and uh, for the text. <laughs> but uh, he gets to. You get to. You get to be in church today on Valentine's Day. Okay? You get to. You get to go get a Valentine's Day card if you haven't already. You get to. You don't have to. You're alive. You're functioning. God is good. And you're in the realm of the world of the living, the land of the living. So praise God for that. Um, we are in a series called Letters from Prison. And this is especially appropriate today because essentially Paul is sitting uh, next to a in-house arrest in Rome, uh, about 62 AD. He's sitting in a house arrest apartment and uh, this 18-inch this chain, wrist chain, uh, links him to a Roman Praetorian guard. And he looks over at this guard and he thinks about what he wants to say to the Ephesian believers about all oh, seven, 800 miles away. And he just begins to play off of what he's looking at beside of him. And uh, it's not that Paul is glorying in war or soldiering, and that's a worthy and honorable thing, but it's not so much he's glorying in that as is he wants to change your frame of reference. He wants to, can we just say an overused phrase, a paradigm shift? He wants you to have a paradigm shift. That he wants you to understand, and I'd understand, he wants the Ephesians to understand that we are not living in a world that's a playground. We are living in a world that's a battleground. And he wants you to start thinking that way. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. And fortunately for the apostle, uh, he understands something about what it means to be in Christ. And some of you maybe have your version app. You can pull those open if you want. And there's a couple of things in there you can follow along with. We're going to be in this passage, by the way, for a couple of weeks. So don't panic if I don't get to your favorite verse out of the passage. We'll be coming back to it. And he wants you to understand who you are in Christ. And, and so there's an oh no in the passage because there's some tough stuff we got to deal with. And there's an oh wow in the passage because there's some wonderful things that Paul shares in light of the old no. All right, on the count of three, everybody say, oh no, nice and emphatically. Ready, one, two, three. 
Oh, no, yes. When we pull the scripture up, if you would pull it up for us, uh, he gets to, he, he goes along here. In fact, we'll just go ahead and start reading it, but you're going to see the oh, no comes pretty early in this passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, the, and in, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There's that old no. We got a devil out there on the loose? Yes, we do. And I don't know about you, but I feel the presence of the dark world from time to time. I felt it for a long time. Makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up sometimes. There's definitely a great spiritual warfare battle raging. Well, Pastor Joey, should we see a demon behind every bush? We shouldn't see a demon behind every bush. Norm Geiser would say, why not? Why not? The demonic world is at work in our world. And it's very, very frightening. And this is, we are not to go out of here afraid today. We're not to be fearful today because Paul's going to address it with the oh, wow. Okay. He's going to address the oh, no, with an oh, wow. Right. And we're going to get there and he's going to share it with us. But uh, there is a devil in the world, and he's got some schemes. They're strategies is the word. Uh, method, 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 we get our English word method from this Greek word, methodia, methods. And uh, so we'll talk just a little bit about that in a moment. Like I said, we're going to read through the passage, and I'm going to back up. We'll only treat probably the first two or three verses of this passage, circling back next week. Devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and notice how Paul piles up the terms and he piles up the phrases when he says, we're not just against flesh and blood. Oh, we are against flesh and blood at times. And of course, Satan wants us to make, make us think that it's just a flesh and blood battle. And Paul, who was beaten, who was incarcerated, who's incarcerated when he writes these words, of course, we are in a flesh and blood battle because there are some flesh and blood that align themselves with the powers of darkness and they use their flesh and blood to facilitate and to advance the powers of darkness. Of course, we are in a flesh and blood battle, but Paul says it's just not that. It's so much more behind the flesh and the blood. It is, it is rulers. It is we are against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so he just piles up phrase after phrase and word after word. He seems to imply that there's a hierarchy of the demonic uh, in the world. There's the hierarchy. It's a vast hierarchy. It's well organized. He writes it this way, piles up the phrases. So you and I would realize how small we are and yet how powerful we are because we come in the authority of another. And that's the oh wow. So there's an old no, there's a very real dark presence in the world. But Paul, having said that, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, I think it's probably here. But when it comes, Paul says, you may be able to stand your ground. This is the key verb in the whole passage stand firm you're going to see it three or four times stand firm stand your ground and having having and after you have done everything to stand there it is again stand firm then what do you what, what do you think Paul wants you to do stand firm that's what he wants you to do stand firm 
well, Joey, there's so much evil in the world and, and it's so vast. And you said there's a hierarchy and, and, and there's the demonic at work in our world and there's a devil and he's got schemes, he's got methods and strategies and, and it's fearful. And, and what do I do? You know, Paul doesn't say, let's, let's call those demons out by name and let's send them to hell. He doesn't say, okay, let's just take them on and let's call them out and let's engage. No, no, Paul doesn't approach it that way. He says, I want you to do one thing. Stand firm. Stand your ground. Stand firm in who you are in Christ. And of course, you know, if you've been in this series with me, you know this morning that when we start out the book of Ephesians, basically the book of Ephesians is a book of three words. When we start the book of Ephesians, we're told to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, okay? We sit positionally in Christ. All that is true of Jesus is true of me. I'm in him. He's in me. I have, I have his uniform over my life, right? Okay, we're in Christ. We're to sit in Christ. The second key word in the book of Ephesians is to walk, walk it out. Now you're seated in Jesus, Okay, now you need to walk that out and live. And so we, in, in Ephesians 4, we see he says, walk, walk, walk. He keeps saying about, uh, talking about walking, living out the life. And then here in this final section of the book of Ephesians, stand. He wants you to stand. So you've got to start by sitting. Who are you in Jesus? Let him tell you who you are. And you've got to walk that out now. Okay, I'm in Jesus. I'm in him. Everything he says is true about me. I'm in Christ, and now I'm going to walk and live that out. And now that I'm walking that out, I'm going to encounter some turbulence. I'm going to encounter, encounter some demonic strategies to, to tear my spiritual life apart. And, and so Paul says, listen, there's an old no in the passage, but church, he says, there's an old wow. Look at this, this, this uh, power of uh, the full armor of God when the evil day comes I can stand firm but praise God I got a belt of truth buckled around my waist he's looking over at the Roman soldier when he's just writing this okay Paul is I got the belt of truth I got the breastplate of righteousness in place next slide if you would for me verse 15 my feet are shod fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the only offensive weapon in the whole group, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He says, this is your armor, man. This is, this is how we're going to survive. This is, oh, wow, I've got all of that. You've got all of that. I have all of that. And this what Paul is inviting you to do. We got all of that. And what Paul is inviting you to do, if we're going to, he's answering the question of how we appropriate the ability and the authority and the power and enablement of the Spirit and of Jesus to overcome in this demon-possessed demon world or this demon-oppressed world or influenced world, this schemonic, the, the schematic uh, plans of Satan. How do we face that? Paul says, I got a little uniform here. It's called Christ. And I want you to put that on. That's how you're going to face it. That's how you can survive this. It's the old wow in the passage. Okay? 
And he, and he talks about praying. And, and so he gives us this whole uniform of Christ. And I'll, I'll show you and demonstrate in just a second how, how Paul is thinking this way. And then he says, he says, with all kinds of prayers and requests, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You know, I probably rarely ever pray more than 10 or 15 minutes at a time. But I rarely go more than 15 minutes without praying. I rarely ever play more than 15 or 15 minutes at a time. But I, I rarely ever go more than 15 minutes without praying. Why? I feel the battle. You feel the battle? I feel it. It's in the air. I see it politically, culturally. There's a shift. There's stuff happening. And this is why it's so important that we look at this passage, we understand these parts of the armor and these aspects of what it means to be in Christ. Okay? And so Paul, you know, and what does it mean when you pray in the Spirit? Well, again, we're going to deal with these things a little more, but, you know, I think as I've gotten older, you know, when you're a parent, you pray for your family. You know, you pray for your family. It's like, Lord, you know, and you start naming them by name, you know, there's Will, and you're like, oh, Will, you know, Will, 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 oh, man. You ever been there as a, as a parent? Let's pray in the Spirit for Will. Levi, oh, Levi, 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 and you just pray for Levi, right? You know how you do it, you know? And there's Megan, Lord, help Megan. And then you think of the little grandbaby, there's little Eliza Lee, Help the little bean. You don't grunt as much when you're praying the Spirit for bean, right? Because it's just a little bean. Help bean. Praying the Spirit. Praying often. Frequency, fervor. Don't worry about how long you pray. Frequency, fervor. Call out on the Lord. We're in spiritual warfare. Okay, and we've got to understand that. Boy, and there's a very real presence of evil in the world. Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. He says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So we have an oh no in this passage, but we got an oh wow. And so when we think about the oh wow, Paul says, you and I have weapons of authority available and accessible to us. And the key is for us to understand these weapons and activate them because it's the thing that's going to get you through. And so how can we claim then the reality of Christ's victory over the darkness? How can we live in this authority? And I think it's three things. There's the nature of the weapons. They're spiritual and they're powerful. There's a need for our weapons. We have an enemy and an evil day to face. There's the names of our weapons. And we'll get into that a little bit next week. We've got to understand those three things. And so when we think about, if you would, go to slide number four for me. Not only is Paul looking at the Roman soldier next to him to try to give you a picture of what it means to wear Christ's uniform, because that's Christ's uniform he's describing, and what it means to be in Christ, different aspects of what it means to be in Christ. 
And so when we look at this, we understand that Paul is not just pulling these phrases and this language out of the air and just looking at a simple metaphor where there's a soldier and I'll make this mean this and this mean that and this mean this. No, he understands that uh, he takes all of these concepts out of the book of Isaiah primarily. Isaiah 11 talks about the righteousness that will be his belt and faithfulness, the, the sash around his waist. Isaiah the prophet wrote about, in Isaiah 59, the righteousness as his breastplate, the helmet of salvation. Go to the next slide. Isaiah writes about, uh, Paul talks about feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And Isaiah writes about, my people will know my name. That day I will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Go to the next slide. Okay, Paul talks about the shield of faith and, uh, and Isaiah talks about righteousness as his breastplate. Go to the next slide. Okay, he, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Okay, and Paul, Paul quotes from Isaiah 11 here. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Okay, the sword of the spirit. Okay, so what, what's Paul doing? Well, these are all messianic passages. They're all passages about a king, a coming king, a warrior king that's coming. And, and, and the Isaiah the prophet, 700, 800 B.C., writes these words. Paul grabs a hold of them while he's sitting in prison in a cell in Rome. And he begins to apply these different aspects of Messiah and his work in the world. And so we can conclude then that every description of the pieces of armor expresses the reality of putting on Christ. And so ultimately we can conclude that the armor is not something we create. Ultimately it is something that we claim. And when we claim it, it's, it kind of goes like this. So when Satan comes to us and says, you know, Joey, you're a weakling. Joey, you're a vile vermin, right? Joey, you're a sinful human being. That I ultimately have the authority to say that I don't have to say it. I get to say it, to borrow from a previous um, message last week. I get to say that I am outfitted in Christ. Christ says, I can have peace when it's hard for me to sleep. Christ says, I have his righteousness when I, when I failed yet again. Christ says, I can rest on his truth when I don't know who to trust. Christ says, when I am bombarded with messages of rejection and shame, I am seated with Christ with a new identity. And if I will believe that, it will be a shield of faith around me. You and I have a new authority and we have to walk in this authority. And Christ invites us to wear it. Paul is inviting the Ephesians to wear it. And the question is, have you stepped into Christ? Have you stepped into this authority? He has a new uniform for you to wear and you're going to need it because we live in an oh no world. Oh, wow. Look what I get to approach every day with. Look at this uniform he's given me. You know, there's times when uh, several years ago, uh, helping with Operation Foundation and other things, uh, you know, I would flag traffic on 33. Yeah, I learned something. Sometimes they stop and sometimes they don't. Just word to the wise. Okay? But you know what I found? 
that when somebody's got a uniform on and a badge and a patrol car nearby and they try to direct traffic, everybody listens to them, right? They got authority. There's authority behind the badge. And that's what Paul, I think, is trying to convey is that you as a Christ follower, though you live in a world that is filled with darkness, you have been given a uniform to wear. And when you step into that uniform and you begin to see all this, it's full body coverage if you noticed. When you step into that uniform, all of a sudden now, all of this authority and power and strength and truth and peace and righteousness, it it is yours to proclaim, to speak, to live. And that's what Paul is trying to convey. That you have a new uniform to wear. That you have a new authority And Paul says, if you would go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 for me. Finally, he says, you know, in other words, from now on, the life that you're now living for Christ there in Ephesus is going to be like a spiritual battlefield, not a playground, not a play field. It's a battleground, a battlefield. And he says, be strong, on the screen, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so what I want us to see this morning is that we've got to get our head right for the battle. And, uh, and you know, when we become Christ followers, there, we are assured of God's peace. We come to Christ. We, we have and, and we are in his, his loving care. But just as insistent that we, uh, you know, when you become a Christian, we have uh, peace. Paul is just as insistent that when you become a Christian, you get a new battle. There's a new challenge. Uh, There's a new fight, a new conflict. And therefore, the way that we know we're a Christian is not only through the peace that God brings, but it's through the conflict because real Christianity is a fight. And so again, why why does Paul look over and use this soldier as a metaphor? Why does he pull these verses in from Isaiah? What is he saying? Again, he's not glorying in the, the ideal, the violence of war. He's saying, do we realize Ephesians? Do we realize that we're in peril? Do we realize that if we are lethargic about getting into the Bible, if we are not diligent about developing an active walk, if we're not diligent and faithful to engage in those those frequent fervent prayer moments, if we allow the undealt with sin to continue and grow in our lives, if we refuse to put on the armor of God intentionally at some point, there will be a method or a scheme that we have to face. And Paul says, I want you to face it with authority. I want you to face it with a sense of confidence. You know, he said, put on the armor of God in verse 11. Look how he says that. Put on is an action word or action phrase. It's like God, God will give you the dress. He gives you the uniform, but he won't dress you. You have to dress. And so he provides it. All of these items that are coming up in our passage, 
It's the same as putting on Christ because Jesus is the truth and Jesus is our righteousness and he is our peace and he is our faith. He is our salvation. He's the word of God. So you're dressed for the battle. He wants you to be dressed for the battle, but you've got to put it on, Paul says, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You can take your stand against his methods, his strategies, because they are very specific and they're carefully laid out many times. And so it's interesting when you, when you start studying the person of the devil, Satan in the Bible, uh, there are several things that are used um, to reference him to several titles. Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the devil, the father of lies, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And you know, when we look at that, we, we understand that yes, he's a created being, though he's fallen. We understand um, he's not present everywhere, though he has de demons that do his bidding. We understand that he does not know all things, but he has eons of experience, and he, he's willing to set the bait. He's willing to bait the trap for eons, for year after year after year, to get you in right the right moment of vulnerability. He knows how to do that. He does not have all power, though he is an angel. And sometimes he comes in all the wicked depravity, showing his true colors. And sometimes he comes more subtly coming in an attractive way or coming in the form of a, maybe a, a cute person, a cute girl, an attractive guy or something that's very, very enticing to you maybe at a particular stage in your life. You know, one of my favorite stories that Pastor Greg Laurie tells, and of course, Pastor Greg Laurie is, uh, leads uh, crusades in stadiums all over America. He's an older man now. He's got the, you know, he's got the uh, the love handles, middle age, lost most of his hair. So he's, he's aged a little since this story took place. But uh, it's about a time when he first became a Christian. He was in high school. And uh, he tells about that. He, and he, and he, when he became a Christian, he says the brothers and believers told him, said, Greg, you know, you're, you're going to have to be careful because the devil is going to tempt you now in your life. And, he, and he's so new to the faith. He's like, he's like, that was the craziest thing anybody had ever told me. The what is going to do what? No, no, he said, they said, no, his brothers. Listen, the devil is going to tempt you. There's somebody, a personality out there, and he's got, he's got friends, minions, that's going to tempt you. And he says, you know, Pastor Greg said he's new in the faith. He didn't really think about temptation. If he wanted to do something, he'd try it. And that got old and boring. He'd try something else, and that's just the way he lived his life. You know, that's the way he lived. But he, now there, he's being told that there's a devil out there and he's going to be tempted. And he asked his brothers in Christ, he said, you know, okay, fine. There's a devil and I'm going to be tempted. Will I know when I'm tempted? Will I know it? They said, oh, you will know it. Yes, Pastor Greg, or Greg at the time, you're going to know it. He said, okay, fine. So he says he's a junior year of high school and he's sitting in class. And there was this really attractive girl that was in class with him. And that he had noticed her, but she had never really noticed him. And this is how Pastor Greg tells it. And so after class was over, he says this girl comes up walking up to him. And she has never walked up to him before. Okay, and so she, she actually addresses me, he says. Hi, how are you doing? And he says, I'm just dumbfounded. Like, why now? And, and, and why is this girl talking to me and what's happening? And she says, what is your name? And he says, I momentarily forgot my name. 
He said, I think it starts with a G. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think my name starts with a G. That's just how much it caught him off guard. And uh, basically, why are you talking to me? Okay, so he, and he's like, girls never hit on, on him in high school. And uh, he was just being honest, you know. And, and, uh, but this attractive girl is talking to him. And he's wondering, you know, maybe this is a temptation the Christians warned me about. I don't know. And then she said, hey, you know what? Yeah, what? My parents have a cabin up in the mountains. And I was thinking of going up there this weekend. Why don't you come with me? Pastor Greg said, I thought this is a temptation. That's what this is. Okay, that's it. Okay, she didn't have horns, and there's no pitchfork, and there's a lot that was attractive and attractive and enticing, but it was nevertheless very, very real. And I knew that this was the devil's schemes, because as I said, he he writes, these things did not happen to me. Thankfully, I was able to to kind of uh, not yield to that in my life. But he said, I recognize there is a very real presence. And, it's only, and it happens sometimes in our moments of vulnerability. You know, when we face things like that. And we have a very sly enemy at work. Paul says he wants us to remember one command. One command and then lean into your new uniform. But the one command that he gives us is to stand firm. We see that in verse 11. He says to stand firm. We see that word again in verse 13. Having done everything to stand your ground, stand firm. He says it again, if you look on the screen, in verse 14. The first line, stand firm. It's a military term. It's about holding our position. And so, again, we don't chase the devil around. It doesn't say find the devil and get him. It doesn't say go find these demons and call them by name and chase them around and send them to the pit. It doesn't say it for us to do that as believers. What does it say? Stand firm. Stand firm in who you are in Christ. And what it says is when they come to you, when situations like that come to you, you just stand firm in your identity in Christ. You do not retreat. And you're like, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. Have you ever been out there and faced these, these situations like Pastor Greg described and there's other situations in my life? What does it mean to stand firm? And, and, and how does that work when it means that when you feel like you're a, a minority and you can just kind of feel the ground shaking beneath your feet? You question everything. You want to escape. And I think that Paul wants us to hear those two words in that moment like Laurie faced or we faced. Stand firm. I'm not going to let this evil overwhelm you. But Lord... They'll laugh at me and my reputation will be shot down and I'll never be able to live this down. Paul says, stand firm. But Lord, you have no idea what my spouse has done to me in this marriage. Paul says, stand firm. But Lord, don't you know I'll lose my job if I do what you're asking me to do? Stand firm. But Lord, they're getting away with it. Stand firm. 
firm. But Lord, I don't want to be suppressed and canceled and persecuted and censored and excommunicated. Paul says, stand firm in the Lord, in your new uniform, in Christ. But Lord, it feels like they are about to make a horrible decision and they won't listen to anybody. Paul says, stand firm. Let the armor do its work. Christ is your provision. You stand and bear witness to the truth of Jesus and his power. And wherever God has placed you and planted you, you put your feet down right there and you stand firm. Can I ask you a question? What do you stand for? Who do you stand for? What are you standing for in your life? Paul would say, if you want to stand on solid ground, you want to stand in and on Jesus. And you want to intentionally step into that new uniform he's provided for you. And to live your life as you face these frightening situations to live your life in this new authority that you have in him. You know, Paul says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, he is describing for us a very extensive hierarchical vast body of beings that are, that are organized in such a way as to work to affect our undoing and our spiritual defeat. We are in a hand-to-hand combat. That's the struggle that he's described. We are in a wrestling match. It's an MMA contest. And we are, it's hand-to-hand combat and we're up against it. And it's so important that we come ready for that fight. You know, um, if you would pull slide number 26 up for me. As I've been thinking about this passage, and I've been thinking about um, trying to get my head right. I read this book, Professor in the Cage, Why Men Fight and Why We Like to Watch. And uh, this is an interesting story. Again, I'm trying to get my head right around this because it's like, you know what? We've got to get away from we got to get away from playground to battleground mentality. And so this guy, Jonathan Gottschall, tells about his story in his book, Professor in the Cage, Why Men Fight. And it's a, he, he was doing his job. He has a Ph.D. He was adjunct teaching English for a college. Pretty sharp guy, fairly smart, okay. Accomplished in his career. And he says a mixed martial arts gym moved in across the street from his office. And so he's like 37 or so in age and he's out of shape. He's disenchanted with his job as a, as a, a professor, an adjunct professor for a local college. He's married, he's got two daughters, but he wants to live out this intrigue that men seem to have for fighting. He wants to write a book about it. 
And plus he's got these little things, these thoughts and these insecurities kind of bouncing around inside from the days he was in middle school and high school and the times that he felt like he should have stood up and fought in certain situations, fought for something, stand on something, stand for something, and he didn't. So he was kind of feeling bad for, about that. And so he decides he's going to train for an MMA fight. And he's not a professional fighter. And so even though uh, MMA is a brutal sport, okay, they, they punch each other, they choke, they kick, they, they try to get each other to submit. There's blood and brutality. He felt like he needed this challenge. And so he wanted one real fight. And so he trains for like two years, almost two years for this fight to see this sport up close, uh, up close and personal and, uh, and to help kind of bring to conclusion his 20-year study of why this, all this whole topic of why, why we fight and why we like to fight. When he decided to do this little experiment, he went home and told his wife his plans. And she said, why would you do that? You will be killed. You have no skills. And uh, when he told his daughters, they cried about it. You know, what's going to happen to daddy? And I guess he figured it was going to do, if he was going to do this thing, he had to learn all he could about it. And one of the things he said, it kinda, he kind of discovered during his training, Jonathan Gottschall learned about the monkey dance. You ever heard of the monkey dance? It's a ritualized conflict or macho confrontation that goes on in taverns and prisons and ball fields and anywhere that men typically compete. The monkey dance. It goes something like this. There's eye contact, right? You make the eye contact. And then there's a hard stare. And then if you want to really do something for emphasis, you have eye contact, you have the hard stare, and with a little extra impact, you lean into your stare a little, okay? The monkey dance. There's a verbal challenge, you know? Somebody catches that hard stare, they come across the room, there's verbal challenge. What are you looking at, right? What are you looking at, right? You've seen this play out? And then you close the distance, and sometimes there's a chest bump, and there's a finger poke, and a two-handed push to the chest. And then after that, what comes next? Dominant roundhouse hook, okay, or a blow, right? That's the monkey dance, and it happens all over, all over the world. Well, Gottschall writes about that in his book, and I think sometimes when we come to this matter of spiritual warfare and we're, we're facing these, this unseen enemy where these chess masters are playing out behind the scenes and we don't see all that's happening. We just see the surface level things. That there comes a time when we have to stand firm and not that we're picking a fight, but we have to stand firm and we have to stare at our enemy in the authority of Jesus and we have to claim all that Jesus says we can claim. And so that's why I'm encouraged because in my mind's eye, I see a little 80-year-old grandmother who prays who frequency with frequency and fervor. She prays in the spirit. She lifts up the family of God. People that lift up me, little grandmothers who pray and they, and they do this, this kind of dance with the enemy and they face down the enemy with the spiritual weapons that God has given them. 
You know, um, Gottschall said he trained for two years. And the hardest thing about training was walking into the gym the first time. Because he's, he's soft, he's doughy, he's kind of weak. He's not been beat up on too much. He's kind of, his hands are soft. He's a PhD or he's an academic, teaches English. He said the hardest thing was walking in for the first time. And you know that may be your story this morning. Maybe you're kind of kicking the tires on the spiritual life stuff. And maybe the hardest thing that you'll face in this spiritual warfare battle is to say, Jesus, I'm not enough. I need you. The hardest thing maybe is walking through those doors and coming and sitting in this sanctuary. That may be the hardest battle you face. And if you'll face that battle, and some of you have, you face that battle that you can break through and you can begin to access these weapons of authority that we have. And we're going to unpack them next week a little more. But so Gottschalk, he walks through those doors and he prepares for his first real MMA fight when he was by the time he fights the fight, he's 39. His opponent was like 24-year-old college student. He said when that steel door clanged shut, everything else just got muted. My coach was trying to tell me how to do it. I couldn't hear him. I couldn't hear the crowd. When that door clanged shut, there was incredible focus. The referee said, fighter, are you ready? Fighter, are you ready? Fight! And he said it just took off after all those two years of training. He said, I threw one punch, <laughs> a quick jab just to, let, just to try to set up an attempt to take down. I wanted to decoy what I was going to do. So he just took a quick jab and he did get the takedown. So he accomplished it. And he said he couldn't hear a thing in those moments. And, and, and when he pulled off of the takedown and he accomplished the takedown, he said, I got a surge of confidence. I was thinking, you know, you know I'm stronger than this guy. I'm a, I'm a hand grenade. I'm a wild boar. I, I'm stronger than this. I'm a takedown machine. But he said the next moment was deeply confusing. Have you ever been there? I'll take this thing on. I'll do that monkey dance. Come on, Satan. You want some of this? You want some of this? Come on, get some. We say that to the enemy, right? Next moment, you're on the flat of your back. What was the mat? Now it's the ceiling. You ever been there? Paul had been there. He was in prison. He's writing to Ephesians. By the way, I talked to you last week about the cultural climate of Ephesus. Did you know that the occult and witchcraft was at an all-time high in Ephesus at the time? Did you know that? Yes. You read the book of Acts. You look where Paul planted the church in Ephesus. You see what they did. You see the sorcery manuals they eventually burned. This was high, intense, monkey dance stuff was going down in Ephesus. And Paul is saying, man, you, there comes a time when a man's got to fight. There comes a time when you've got to take the hard stare. And you've got to lean into it a little bit. And you got to say, hey, no, no, it's in the name of Christ. I'm standing firm. I'm holding ground. I'm holding ground. See, Gottschalk got to that place in his life where he knew he had to make a stand. And we are living in a time when it, we have to make a stand. You have to make a stand. He was so revved up about that takedown. But like he said, he got deeply confused in the next few seconds. 
the guy had his arm hyperextended at the elbow, and he said I could hear popping sounds in my elbow. And he was about to cripple him, and the fight was over. He, he lost by armbar two years of training, nearly two years of training. The fight lasted for 47 seconds. He said, he clamped my left arm tight. He spun sideways beneath me while throwing his legs up in the air, sliding his free hand under my knee to help me flip me like a pancake. Man, he had that arm and I was done. 24-year-old took it to the 39-year-old PhDer. Gottschalk said I had three goals that I wanted to accomplish. And the more I thought about this, the more I think these are the three goals that Paul probably has in mind when he writes these words. It's goals that I have in mind. It's goals I have for you. He said, going into the fight, I had three goals. First, I wanted to be in the best shape of my life. And second, because I was better at grappling than striking, I wanted to get the fight to the ground. I, I knew I had a chance if I could get him on the mat. And third, he said, I wanted to fight bravely. Three things. I think as I tool up for the next phase, I want to be the best shape of my life. Do you? You see, that's what, what, that's what Paul wants for you. That's what I want for you. We are in a monkey dance in this world. The occult coupled with moral breakdown surged in the city of Ephesus. Spiritual darkness was prevalent. And when you unleash all of that, and maybe next week I'll talk a little more about what happened, some of the strategies, some of the fiery arrows of the wicked one. Boy, if I've ever seen fiery arrows aimed at the, any one institution, it's aimed at the family, it's aimed at marriages. And the stuff that happens when you deprive a little child of love at an early age, wow. And that was going on in Ephesus. That goes on when people are caught up in the occult, when people are caught up in the, the cultural um, lies that are being proposed. And we talked about those last week some. But Paul, Gottschalk, Paul, I, you, hopefully, we want to be in the best shape of our life. Everyone is engaged in a fight. But here's the distinctive difference. You have resources that nobody else has. It's the uniform of Christ. All we need to do is step into it. You've got to put it on. Put it on. And that positions us to do things in the authority of Jesus. The second goal we had is I want to get the fight to the ground. There are, Paul talks about the heavenlies in the heavenly places, and it seems so out there. It seems oh out there in the heavenly places. What is that? And we got to get the fight to the ground. You see, spiritual warfare is not as hard as we think it is. It's when we it's it's when you know you've got a computer, maybe you want to do porn, and you say no. That's a victory. Or, or maybe you're bored with life and marriage and you, and, and you just want to lose yourself in a romance novel. You say, no, stand firm, stand firm. 
Or maybe, maybe that stuff that's happened that's left you vulnerable in your life. Maybe there's some, some uh, uh, coping mechanism that has become your functional savior. It's the thing that you go to when you need to feel better from being maybe hurt or angry or lonely or tired or stressed or depressed. All those things. Spiritual warfare is fought in the trenches. We get it to the ground when we start seeing it in the daily like that. And we begin to say, no, I'm standing firm. I can't compromise my uniform. I have to be battle ready. I've got to bring my energy and my power and every bit of the energy and the power of God to this battle. I can't bring a weak B game. I've got to get the battle to the ground. Out of the heavenlies, out of the esoterical, out of the philosophical. Get it to the ground in the daily, every day. Okay, the word. Am I in the word? Okay, spirit, are you working through me? Love, am I loving? Am I forgiving? Okay, this is getting the battle to the ground. And we've got to get it to the ground. If you don't get it to the ground, we're not going to play to our strengths. And of course, we all know what Jesus did. On the ground, he came bursting out of the grave and with resurrection power. So we have to get the battle to the ground to have a chance in this fight. Third thing I think, so critical. And that is that we have to fight bravely. Fight bravely. That's what Gottschalk wanted to do. You know, after the end of that fight, it's a kind of a MMA tradition. You go up and sit in the stands and watch the other people fight. By the way, I don't really watch. I, okay, I've, I've been like on a, how shall I say this, without making people feel bad if you love, I love sports. Okay, I always have. I come from a sports family. I've been doing my own little personal boycotts, okay, where I have just cleaned it out. And it has given me a razor sharp edge I've never had. I don't know how else to say it. But the spiritual life, the presence, the, the, the power of God, the availability for God to use me, Lord, use me. Don't help me to get to battle the ground. Help me to fight bravely. I want to fight this thing bravely. I want to make my life count in these moments count. I want to utilize and access these weapons of authority that I have in Christ. I want to engage them in the battle. And so we must fight bravely because we are in an invisible war against an invisible enemy in an invisible sphere. But it affects all of us in an earthly realm. And so when we come to this thing called spiritual warfare, he wants us, Paul wants us to stand firm because Jesus has already won the offensive victory. Jesus has already won the offensive victory. And that's why he wants you to stand firm. Listen, church, you're not in this war to fight to win. You're in this war to take care of the ground already won. It's already won. We have to understand that this morning. You're not trying to win a fight. It's won. You're holding the ground. You're holding the ground. You're speaking the victory and the power of Christ into these battles that we're in. You know, Paul says early in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who hath already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Again, we have these riches 
And everything God is ever going to do for you, he's already done for you in and through Jesus. And so if you're going out trying to find blessings, then that means you're missing what you already have. And Paul says, I want you to see what you already got, this incredible uniform of authority that you can step into and you can step into it today. And that may be the most courageous thing you do in the battle. And so I love how Paul writes in the sister epistle to Ephesians, the book of Colossians. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of us of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And he says to you and to me, here's that same uniform step into it be dressed now go live in this new authority the victory's been won you know i'll close with this um tim clinton is a oh he's a writer a counselor that i have come to appreciate and his insights in the world of counseling and some of you have studied counseling and, and you're going to be a ministry and God's going to use you powerfully in that way. But I'm weak. I mean, I like to, I, I'm not a trained counselor or psychologist or a psychotherapist, but I like to learn all that I can because I deal with this miscellaneous problems. So I want insights. I want truth. Wherever I can get truth, it doesn't matter. If it's truth, it's truth. And wherever I get it, praise God. All of it filters through the word, of course, all of it. But Tim Clinton has helped me. He's helping me now because I want to understand this world. And uh, he, he says he was fresh out of graduate school and his first, one of his first clients was hopelessly staring directly into his eyes. And he's a very green, right out of grad school. Graduated, got his credentials as a counselor, ready to go. He said, mentally, I was looking at this lady who had this, this monkey dance stare into my eyes and I wasn't sure exactly what she was thinking, how I was going to handle this, what was going to happen next. He said, all I could do is I, could, I just started going through the flyleaf of my brain, thinking about all the counseling theories and treatment theories that I studied in grad school, trying to figure out which one of them, which one of those would provide the formula to help me in this particular situation. He thought for sure that he could figure her out in a few minutes and somehow out of nowhere with this disheveled hair and with full of energy, this lady stands up and she walks directly around his desk and inches away from his face, she said in a raspy, almost demonic voice, say, Jesus. And he said, after a brief silence of awkward silence, he said, I said what any confused counselor would have said. What? She got noticeably louder. I said, say Jesus. And he said, um, Jesus? He says, I was young and fresh out of graduate school. I thought all the models and theories was going to be the thing that got me through. He said, that lady taught me something. 
All these counseling theories memorized, yes. But this client, writes Clinton, put me in my place. She reminded me of something I have never forgotten. That this lady didn't care how much he knew about counseling. She cared about who he knew. She wanted to know that he believed in the transformative power of Jesus Christ to change her. Because somehow in her heart, she knew that was the only answer. I don't know where you are this morning, but if all you can say in this great spiritual battle that you are waging, if all you can say is one word, can I suggest Jesus? Are you worried about your son or your daughter? Jesus. Your wife, your husband. Oh, Jesus. Sometimes that's all we can pray in the spirit, isn't it? Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, right? You ever pray those kind of prayers? Oh, man, no, no. In the authority of Jesus, Lord, no. And You ever been there? I have. You have. If you can only say one name, one word, say the name. And maybe your breakthrough can come. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your grace. Would you help us to get to battle to the ground? Yeah, we talk about the heavenlies and we talk about this new uniform and this new suit that we can step into and wear, but how do we, how do we wear it? How do we step into it? I think you have. It's very simple. Can we say your name this morning? Can we just say your name? Oh, we need you, Lord. Our country needs you. And we are wobbly sometimes and we don't feel strong and we don't want to stand firm and we are so afraid. But I ask and pray this morning, whoever's afraid, whoever's confused, whoever feels wobbly and weak, to say the name. And whatever monkey dance they're engaged in this morning, old Satan's got him in a stare down. He's, he's working that room. He's leaning into that stair. He's going to bring everything he's got. That big round house is coming. And we don't know what we're going to do. We can feel it in the air. It's coming. You said to us, stand firm. And that's what we intend to do. I'm here. My feet are planted. I'm not moving. This is Jesus ground. This is blood spilled ground. This is spiritual victory ground. This is truth and peace and righteousness and helmets and belts and, and shoes. This is holy ground. This is your ground. This is your victory. It is yours. And today we stand in it. We live in it. We trust you for it. And we will go from this place with that precious name, Jesus, as our only hope and our only stay. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. You've been a great group this morning. You keep reading in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We'll come back and we'll unpack some of those pieces of the armor next week.
Will you stand with me? Don't forget your coronation. That's important, okay? You are loved, and uh, so walk in that love today. All you ladies, be sure to get your coronation. And once they're gone, all you guys, help yourself and bless your wives, okay? Have a great week.